This is right after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee up north in Israel. And, and when he and his disciples had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So, Father, thank you. Holy Spirit is here, has enveloped us as we have worshiped your son, Jesus. And we pray right now in his mighty name that you'll cause us to see the Son of God and to know the truth that he brings to us today. So we submit our hearts to the truth that is revealed to us by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the world of golf, there is what's called the mulligan. Any of you know what a mulligan is? You do. And you've had to have one a time or two, right? A mulligan. Yeah, I, uh, I was privileged to uh, have the director of the golf club up at Ricky. Ricky Golf out at Beale give me some great lessons. Um, I needed a mulligan a time or two working with this. This was not always as easy as it looks. Yeah. It's a whole lot different than swinging a baseball bat. And I had to learn stuff all over again in terms of standing, posture, swing, totally different. And what is a mulligan? It's a free shot sometimes given a golfer in an informal play when the previous shot was poorly played. Yeah, I had a few of those mulligans. And this event in Scripture happened post-resurrection. Jesus prepared breakfast for his disciples. And it was a breakfast of restoration because Peter needed a mulligan. He had fallen and failed miserably. And the question Jesus was concerned with do you love me? Peter's one of my favorite. I have several in Scripture, one of my favorite characters in the Word. He was a man who was not always perfect, but Peter always intended to do the right thing. He didn't always achieve doing the right thing, but his intentions were always, I want to do what's right in this moment. Peter's a testimony that mistakes don't always have to be fatal. And when Peter failed, he failed forward. He didn't allow his mistakes to push him away from God. He failed and fell forward. Jesus told Peter, upon your confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus also told Peter, I am giving to you the keys to the kingdom. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Peter's been given these great, great blessings of responsibility 
upon his shoulders. And even though Peter has this great revelation of who Jesus is, that came from the Father himself, you're the Son of the living God, and given kingdom promises, you're going to have authority here and there. Within just a few days, it was the same Peter who would fail, deny, and make more, more mistakes than we can imagine. Within a few days of these promises that were given to him by Jesus, Peter denied Jesus. He protested with pride. And then at the end of the sentence, he cursed. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Well, it wasn't long after that, Peter went to sleep at the last prayer meeting Jesus conducted. When Jesus needed help, Peter was asleep. Peter went rogue in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he cut off the ear of a temple guard. When crucifixion was pronounced judgment for Jesus, Peter forsook, forsook Jesus and fled. You talk about having a bad weekend. Peter did all of that within a matter of just a couple of days. Anytime the devil tells you you're a nobody from nowhere, headed to no place, just remind yourself and remind him of the story of Peter. Peter had a comeback spirit. After Jesus was crucified, realizing the series of bad decisions he had made, his utter failures, he is depressed. He's lost all hope. In his depressed state of mind, he returns to his fishing enterprise, the profession he had before he became a follower of Jesus. So he takes some of the disciples in his boat, and they head out on the Sea of Galilee to fish. While fishing all through the night, Dawn is about to break, and he sees the silhouette of a Galilean on the shoreline. He begins to recognize the shape of that man, the silhouette of that man. He lived with that man, eaten meals with that man, followed him for over three years. Then the disciple Jesus loved, who happened to be writing the same book that is called John, so John's saying, me, disciple Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. Peter wanted to be near Jesus. In spite of bad mistakes and huge failings, he was back in his old line of work. He had returned to his old profession, having fished all night, caught nothing. But when he recognized the miracle of the net full of fish, at the command of the Galilean, then he recognized it was Jesus. Something in his heart said, I love him. And he couldn't hold himself back. And he jumped over the side of the ship into the water and he swam to try to get near Jesus. When Jesus was nearby, Peter wanted to be with Jesus on a boat in a storm and another time on the Sea of Galilee. When everybody else, all the other disciples were cowering on the boat, Peter asked Jesus, hey, can I come out there to be with you on the rolling waves? And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the raging waves with Jesus. Now, as Peter gets to the shore, having jumped into the water, and he has come over to the shore, he's looking into the face of Jesus. Jesus had just been brutally crucified three days ago buried in a tomb, risen from the dead. And Jesus is cooking him a breakfast of restoration, fish and bread. Hmm. That's a good meal. 
Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus offered. Peter's looking at the face of Jesus, and he's got such guilt. He's self-condemned. He had denied and failed Jesus. And what did Jesus say to Peter? One question, one question only. Do you love me? Jesus didn't ask, why did you turn and run? Why did you curse? Why did you deny me when I needed you? You said you would die with me before you would abandon me. And Jesus asked Peter the same question three times. Do you love me? How many times had Peter denied Jesus? Three times. No matter the messes you've made, no matter the denial, the cursing, the abandoning, do you love me? Do you still have a desire to want to follow me? Peter had lied. Peter had denied. And Jesus didn't pile on. What Jesus wanted to know, Peter, do you love me? I don't know how many times you have run, how many times you have failed. And through it all, Jesus is asking about not what you've done, but he's asking the same question, do you love me? Because if you love Jesus, he stands ready to restore you. Peter failed falling forward. It's better to fail falling forward than falling down. It's better to fail aiming high than to succeed aiming low. When Peter cut the ear off the temple guard, he was attempting and intending to help Jesus, to be a blessing to him. His motive was a good motive. When everybody else had fled when Jesus was arrested, Peter decides, I'm not going to abandon him. And he slips back to try to be where Jesus is and being held illegally but being tried. And that's when Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. He intended to do the right thing. When Peter put himself at risk by going over by the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, he was in danger. Someone was going to recognize him. When someone finally did ID Peter, he started cursing. But his intentions had been good. God knows the difference between who sins and messes up. But if your heart still loves Jesus, see, we don't enable sin. We don't glorify sin, nor do we endorse sin. We're not one of those churches that never even uses the word sin from its pulpit because the Bible calls it what it is, and we call it what the Bible calls it. It's sin. We call it out as the Word of God tells us to call it out. When the enemy whispers to you, you're not worthy, my response, he has made me worthy because there is none righteous, not one. When the devil says you don't measure up, None of us can measure up in ourselves. But one thing you need to know, I love Jesus. And if I fail, I fall forward, intending to do the right thing. We're not loose concerning sin. There's a difference between sinning and refusing correction, stubbornly resisting being challenged. 
There's a difference between that and a repentant heart, a teachable spirit, and one who confesses. In the moment of Peter's failure, when the devil said, you're finished, you failed. But Peter had a heart postured toward the Lord. On the other hand, there's Judas. And like Peter, he also failed. And both went out and wept, realizing their failures. Peter wept and was restored. Judas wept but was not restored. There's a difference. Peter wept out of brokenness and repentance over what he had done. He had what's called godly sorrow. Judas wept, but not for the same reasons. Judas wept because he was angry at God. He was disappointed in Jesus. He thought Jesus would be the means by which they could overthrow the Roman Empire and the tyranny. Therefore, Judas plotted his sin out of his anger, calculated his sin. He premeditated his sin. And he was angry because he was being overexposed. And he was weeping because he'd been caught in his sin. And he was paid for what he did. In other words, he negotiated his sin. Peter didn't plan to fail. He made the wrong decision. Someone set him off in that crowd. He didn't sit around planning that when a certain person accuses me, I'm just going to curse him out. He didn't plan that. One has a different spirit. Judas was a deliberate, intentional sinner. There are deliberate sinners. I know what God said, and I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want to do. I enjoy doing it, and I'm not going to change my behavior because I like what I'm doing. It's part of who I am, and no one and nothing is going to tell me how to live. That's the spirit of Judas. And there's a consequence to that because the attitude of, well, I'll just ask God to forgive me later, only serves to harden your heart more toward the Lord. Plotting sin, planning on sinning, being paid to sin. There's a difference between someone who has committed adultery and one who is an adulterer. Both have sinned, yep, absolutely. A person who has failed sexually, made the wrong choices, allowed the enemy to have a foothold, they choose to remain in the temptation when they should have chosen to run. So they've sinned. There's not an excuse for that. There's sin. But the person who is an adulterer, who has eyes of adultery, they will fail sexually with any person they remain alone with over a period of time. They go looking for attention. They refuse to guard their heart. They choose to remain vulnerable. They don't run away from temptation. In fact, they enjoy the attention of flattery. They refuse to honor their covenants. One fails, cries, repents, is broken, will never again be in that circumstance. The other commits the same sin and not truly sorry for it. Only sorry because I got caught, but wants to continue in that sin There's a difference in the posture of the heart. Peter was the kind who didn't plan to fail. He didn't go off looking to fail. There's a difference. It's the heart motivation. It's the posture of how my heart is is poised. But the heart posture is also a result of my choices. I choose to honor God. I want the spirit of Joseph. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That was his response when tempted. Why was Peter 
at the house of Caiaphas. He was there because he wanted to be near Jesus. And then someone identifies Peter and said, you are one of his followers. The old nature kicked in and the denial began. It's like the man who came in the office about a sin. He had crossed the line and counseling. He was asked, well, why did you do that? Don't you love Jesus? And the man said, yes, I do love Jesus. But I allowed my old nature to take me where I never should have gone. Deeper than the sin was that grace he once enjoyed. And, and God's grace overtook and eradicated the failure and the sin. Calvary Sin is mean. Listen to this. Sin fascinates and then assassinates. Sin thrills and then it kills. Sin appears appealing, but when exposed, it's repulsive. You get a kick out of sin, but it always kicks you back. It promises much, but delivers little. Sin takes you further than you want to go. It holds you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to Hey. And when you begin to grow insensitive to God, you will grow insensitive to sin. And the more calloused you become to sin, the more calloused you are toward the Lord. The danger of sin, you no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whispering to you. And you lose your tears, and you lose your ears, and you cannot hear his voice, and you lose your fear and your reverence for God. A hidden sin here is a scandal in heaven. And sin always costs you. Check with Achan, who decided after Joshua commanded the people of Israel, when we go into Ai, or rather into Jericho, before we go to Ai, don't touch anything you find in Jericho. All the spoils are going to be given to the Lord, 100% of them. None of you keep anything. Well, they left after they had defeated Jericho on their way to Ai, but Achan decided he was going to keep some things for himself and buried them, thinking he had hidden his sin. It cost him his life and his family their lives. Esau left his birthright, came back looking for it. It wasn't there. The prodigal son left, came back, lost his inheritance. Naomi had left Bethlehem because times were rough. When she came back, she found she had lost her inheritance. Jesus did not say to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin less. Jesus said, go and sin no more. And while Peter was warming his hands in the courtyard as Jesus was being tortured, they decided to change venues for his trial, and they bring Jesus bleeding having been scourged with stripes across his back and a crown of thorns jammed into his skull. He is wounded. His beard has been torn from him. And the word says, there wasn't a word exchanged between Peter and Jesus, but Peter was, was denying Jesus, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was speaking his denial of Jesus, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter, who denied, cursed, and failed, now has made eye contact with the suffering Savior, close enough to Jesus to make eye contact. And Peter is weeping uncontrollably. There's a difference between failing and willfully sinning. When you willfully sin, it's, it's in your character. You haven't surrendered that part of your nature to the Lord, and you enjoy that part of your nature. You want to keep it as a pet. However, when you fall, because a, like Peter, a righteous man who loves Jesus may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. The righteous falls forward. There's something in him that knows I need Jesus, and I need to get back to him immediately. That's how you know if you're born again or not. And you probably heard this story in numerous ways and times. Like you could take a pig and dress him in a choir robe and bring him up here on the platform next to me. As soon as the service ends, bow tie, choir robe, as he goes outside, if he spies a mud hole, because it's the nature of the pig, he forgets all about where he was and what platform he stood on, he'll run straight into the mud hole. Why? Something in his nature loves it. I belong here. I love this mud. I love the filth. This is where I want to be. But if a sheep falls into the mud, you know, he might have fallen into it, but instantly he wants to get up and get out of it. Because it's not in the nature of the sheep to enjoy filth. He wants out. I don't like it. And the way you know if you're a child of God or not, what kind of nature dominates you? Not that you will never fall, but when you fall, there's something in you that says, Oh, Jesus, I am sorry. Wash me. Cleanse me. Get this off of me. By your grace, I will never return there again. There was a time when you desired sin. But now you desire sin no more. A time when you were drawn to it. But now you don't want to be bound or around it any longer. That's the power of the cross. It sets people free from who they are and have been. Peter failed miserably, but he wept. He was restored. When you get to heaven, there will be 12 names on the 12 foundations of the new, the city, the new Jerusalem And one of those foundations will be emblazoned on that foundation, Simon Peter. Peter was chosen by Jesus to preach on the day of Pentecost, just about 40 days after the resurrection. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he throws the net out, having preached that day, a man who had failed just a few weeks before, and he brings 3,000 in in that net. Peter, who failed but intended to do the right thing. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, some of his female followers came to the empty tomb. And the angel of the Lord spoke to them words of encouragement, and then, because Jesus was resurrected, and then added this Go tell, but go tell his disciples and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. Jesus will meet you up north. And the only disciple singled out Peter for a meeting because Jesus stands ready to forgive, to put your past behind you. What Jesus wanted to know, 
does Peter still love me? I knew he wasn't perfect. All I want to know, do you still love me? Because if you still love me, I will use you to feed my sheep. I will use you for the purpose for which I created you. I can deal with whatever you've got going on if you still love me. So I'm here today to tell you, Jesus is calling you by name. He wants an encounter with you. Why? He wants to ask you, do you love me? Jesus didn't call Peter down. He didn't rehearse the details of his failure. Jesus said, after all this foolishness and denial and of this cursing and lying, do you love me? Peter despised himself. It's a dangerous thing when you reach such a low that you despise yourself. Mark Rutherford wrote in his book, if I could pen one more beatitude, it would be, blessed are those who heal us from self-despising. It was true for Peter. He wounded the one he loved the most. And man, he was not dealing with it well. He couldn't forgive himself for this. He couldn't live with it. He tried to self-medicate by running away, heading for the, for the Sea of Galilee, his old business, get out in the middle of the, of, the, of the water and fish. Couldn't live with himself. People do drugs, alcohol. They use painkillers because they're trying to self-medicate over some failure in their life. Well, Dad should have been there for me, but he left us when I was just a baby or uh, I was abused as a child. And before you know it, and trying to self-medicate themselves, whether it be through some substance or some sexual behavior or some manifestation thereof, then they begin to despise themselves when they realize what they've done. And the enemy then whispers, take your life. You're good for nothing. You're a failure. You're worthless. You're trash. And you begin to despise yourself. See, it's one thing to heal a man of despising others. It's another, another matter to heal a man of despising himself. And that's why we do all we can and want to continue doing everything we can to help people who've come home from war, our warriors, because they've experienced things. They've had to be doing things, involved in things, losing their friends and people they've cared deeply about at war, watching, watching them come home disabled permanently and coming back to family that doesn't understand what they've been through. And, and they're suffering from post-traumatic stress. And no one knows how to cope with them because sometimes they get to the point where they despise themselves and give up hope. And we can't afford to lose 22 every single day who commit suicide because they despise themselves and have given up on themselves. The word of the Lord to you is this. If it's not in God's books, it ought not to be in your books. Because three times... God repeats himself, I, even I, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. If it's not in his book, it doesn't need to be in yours. I will remember your sins no more. I will remember your sins no more. I will remember your sins no more. God does not remember your sins. Stop despising yourself. I know if you could go back, if you could get one more swing at that ball, right? If you could get a do-over, 
keep my eye on the ball, make sure I follow through and get the shot straight up the fairway. Instead of in the sand dune, dog leg left. That's where Peter found himself. And sometimes you struggle in the sand dune to get out. But God in the flesh went right there and got him out. Amen? You take that moment back, yeah. God will look at the posture of your heart. You intended to do the right thing. You regret what you did. It was a dumb decision. Your decisions were wrong, even though your intentions were right. Is anybody here thankful for grace? Is anyone thankful for mercy that sees beyond your dumb decisions? And he still loves us. Hear the word of the Lord. Watch this. You messed up. You despise yourself for what you've done. But you're not a Judas. You're a Simon Peter. What you did was not premeditated. You didn't start out with a desire to deceive or lie or cheat or harm. But when the temptation came, you made the wrong choice. You've been sorry ever since. Have you been? Are you sorry? And I'm speaking to you by the word of God. Jesus didn't say to Peter, thanks for the denial. Don't touch my food. He said, no, come on and have breakfast with me. Jesus put Peter back in the ministry. After all the mess, he said, feed my sheep. I restore your dignity. Hold your head up. You're going to get to preach on the day of Pentecost. I will use you mightily. It will always break you and humble you that you failed me. You'll never forget the look on my face when our eyes met and my blood was dripping from my head. You'll never forget that moment, Peter. And about the time you start getting proud again, you'll remember where I brought you from. And the apostle of weakness and denial became the apostle of boldness and faith. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm humbled. I have never been a Judas. I have been a Peter. And after I said something, thought something, done something I shouldn't have, immediately stunned by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, immediately stung by his rebuke when he said, how dare you offend me with that? I thank God my intentions have been to please him. And if I did fall, I was falling forward into the arms of Jesus. Jesus, get me out of this. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I want nothing to do with it. And when you have a spirit like Simon Peter, you go down, but you get back up. Knock down, you get back up. There's hope for the one who comes stumbling back. But you're in deep trouble when you have premeditated sin and you get comfortable with your sin. And when you do get caught, you blame somebody else or you get resentful. You're being disciplined. Be careful of a Judas spirit. David penned these words because his heart was humbled like Peter when he was caught after his adultery and murder and dishonoring of God. And for a year, he attempted to cover up his sin and lived with illness, sick physically because he was sick spiritually. And then he said, 
when that sin came out and that all was confessed. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and he hears my prayer for mercy. And then he cries, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I've got to have his presence. Don't stop dealing with me. Don't give up on me. Don't let me dry up. Don't allow me to hear a message like this. And I have no longer the ability to be moved because my heart is hard. Pray you never come to the place where you grow hardened to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Will you no longer yield to his voice and his will? Because the word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It right now is going deep into the core of who we are. And it's separating. The enemy will throw a thought at you. The word will discern between your thoughts and intentions. The next time the enemy sends an evil thought in your direction, say, thank you, devil, for reminding me that I, of what I have no intention of doing. Peter goes on to pen two epistles in the scripture. He has more to say about humility than any other New Testament author. And then Peter gives us two of the most profound scriptures about humility ever written. He writes, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. He knew exactly what that meant. Peter dipped his pen into the ink of his failure and penned these words to the church. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He will grant grace to anyone who falls forward on his mercy, but he holds at arm's length the proud. Peter left us wisdom for the ages. Because his heart intended to do the right thing. Say this, I'm not a Judas. I have thoughts, but not intentions. I may have fallen and struggled. But Jesus, I still love you. Stand to your feet, open your mouth, and thank him for his amazing mercy and his amazing grace. Come on, thank him.